0: Finally, if you would like to support the work and ministry of Rehope financially, you can do so online at rehope.co.uk slash giving. We pray you find this message encouraging, enlightening, and helpful. Enjoy. Hey, good morning, everybody. It is so great to be here uh, worshiping with you and being able to share this time. I'm, uh, as Brian mentioned, we are big, big fans. We love you guys so much, Brian and Kelly are some of our oldest friends, not old friends, but oldest friends. And uh, and honestly, uh, coming from uh, the other side of the ocean, we've got relationships with like so many of your guys' team. I've known Wade and Vic since like way, way back. And um, and a bunch of you in the room, I'm going to have to say hi to. I see some people up there in the, uh, in the up attic area. Uh, but uh, hey, you know, um, Brian this summer was asking me, he's like, oh, what, you know, this is open weekend, you could teach on whatever you want to teach on. And I was just in the beginning of prepping for a series that we're doing in uh, First Thessalonians, because it's just like one of my favorite books. Uh, and it's literally just this little letter that's written by the Apostle Paul to a church that he helped kickstart. He was only there for a few weeks, got on the ground, got it going, and then he was kicked out of the city. And in many ways, I love this letter so much because, like, he loves this church. And he's writing back to kind of, like, say, encourage them and cheer them on. And in many ways, it's kind of close to my heart because I feel like I'm, I'm here. I love you guys on the other side of the ocean, cheering you guys on, really believing you. My wife, Brittany's is over there, too. Um, we'd love to say hi at some point in time. But if you would flip open to 1 Thessalonians... And um, I know I'm probably going to break things a little, we do things a little different maybe at AJC, but I'm going to have you stand up if you wouldn't mind. I'm going to read the scripture over us, a little bit of that Christian calisthenics, get the knees moving up and down, blood moving, there we go. Um, and I'm going to be reading from 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 1 through 8. It says this, Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God that he has chosen you. And so, you became a model to all of the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Wow, what an amazing declaration. Let me pray real quick again. Uh, Holy Spirit, we just invite your presence to come. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. Father, thank you for being a good father. And right now, we just ask that you would be our teacher. Would you open up the text? Would you show us the things that we need to hear? Would you change us from the inside? We need you to move us to become more and more like you, Jesus. We love you. This is all for you. And in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can grab a seat. So there's like this now like famous story that's been told and and it's probably even been told here. Uh, It's gone around and around about this rabbi named Akiva. And the rabbi Akiva, it's said that one day he went out for this really long, like, reflective, contemplative walk, uh, you know, thinking about life and God and theology. Uh, And in the midst of his contemplation, a fog kind of settled. And lost in thought, he missed the turn to his village. And he ended up out in front of these giant Roman gates. And in the midst of the fog, a voice comes kind of like calling out, like, Who are you? Why are you here? And, you know, he's Rabbi Akiva shaken from his kind of lost in thought. And, and, and he's like, well, uh, I'm sorry, what? Who are you? Why are you here? So then the rabbi considers for a moment, thinks a bit about that. And, and he comes back with his own questions, as rabbis often do, asking, how much do you get paid to do this? And now the soldiers put back a little bit, like, what, what, what? Why are you asking me this question? Well, I don't know, I'm just like, you're, you work here, how much do you get paid to ask these questions? And the, and the soldier's like, well, I get paid two drachma a week. And the rabbi stops and thinks for a moment and says, I'll pay you double that. If you will stand outside of my door every single day and ask me those same two questions. Who are you? and Why are you here? Anybody here in the room like a contemplative walker like Rabbi Akiva? Love liking to walk. I am one of these people. I love to walk. It's not uncommon for me to go for hours on a walk just wrestling and praying and thinking. Um, you know, I, I've even been known to to find myself in destinations and unsure how I got there. Anybody ever have, like... I know that I started, and that somehow I'm here. It even happens every once in a while in a car. That's far more dangerous, but it does happen occasionally. I remember uh, 2008, we just moved from here. Uh, we were living up on Lauderdale Gardens, uh, and we moved to uh, sunny San Diego. And uh, we were there as a part of a team helping kind of jumpstart something over there. and We felt like God had called us back, and we moved from our, like those Beautiful main door tenement flat that we loved so much to this like itsy bitsy, super sketchy, like shed thing. Uh, and like right in the downtown of San Diego. And I know San Diego's, I suppose, this beautiful place, but they were having like the hottest fall that they'd had in like a decade. So you can imagine us moving from living in Glasgow where your skin gets that unique shade of white. It's like opaque, like practically clear. And, uh, and, and then moving to sunny San Diego where it's just hot, all of the time. And our and we're, our teachers were hounding us, like, put more suntan lotion on your kids. They're turning into, like, tomatoes. And, and it was just intense. And honestly, the work that we were there doing wasn't going very well. We were wrestling through. And, and we were just uncomfortable, out of place, confused. It was a really, really rough season. And I remember after a particularly, like, difficult weekend, um, like, going out for a walk, or getting up on a Monday morning and saying, like, I, I just need to go and clear my brain. And going out, just following my feet. And I walked for hours. I mean, I was like hours and hours and hours in. I remember wrestling and talking to God, like, Lord, I don't understand. What are you up to? And in the midst of that, God, in his grace, he met me. And I heard just this simple question, why are you here and, and and I remember, like, when I heard it, it was like, clearly it felt like the Spirit was speaking. And I remember kind of almost being a little angry with God, like, what do you mean, why am I here? Like, I'm here because you called us to come here, God. Like, I didn't, we didn't want to leave Glasgow. What, I, what, what do you mean, why are we here? And then I did one of those really, really spiritual things. I threw a hissy fit. Anybody ever do that with God before? A little bit of, like, stomping the feet, like, oh, God, like, come on, you know? Uh, and I, I was confused and frustrated. Why would God ask me that question? And then I, I just kept walking, you know, like wrestling it out. And then in the midst of that walking, I again heard his voice. And he said again, why are you here? And, and as a basic practice, when God repeats himself, I feel like I should probably listen, right? And, and so I stopped. And I, I even in that moment, kind of remember being on the street corner, like looking around, going like, God, what... Do you mean, like, why am I, like, literally here? And thank goodness, in God's grace and patience, he just started to speak to me. And it was like he started pelting me with stories from the scriptures. And, and the first one I remember really clearly was this that moment where Moses is, like, standing on the shore, and, and he's, got, he's got, like, Pharaoh's army bearing down on him, and God kind of breaks through, because he's crying out, like, Lord, save us, Lord, save us, and, and, and God's, like, why are you here, Moses? Like I, I gave you the staff, like just part the water, just go. I imagine being in Moses's shoes, going like, like God. Nobody's ever done this before. Like what you're asking me to do. God's like, go. I've given it to you already. You know who I've called you to be. Go be that person. And then another another story that came to mind was that story of Elijah. You know, after his huge encounter with with the prophets of Baal and the, the fire from heaven and he's on the mountain and then he like runs for his life and he ends up all alone, depressed, discouraged, crying out to God and, and God's voice comes breaking in again. It's like, like Elijah, why are you here? Like, Elijah, you, you know who I am. You know who you are. Like, go anoint those kings. Go call the next generation up. Go do the thing that I've made you to do. You know me. You know who you are. And then even the story, another story that came to mind was the story of like Jesus with his disciples where they all come to him. They're super flustered. There's thousands of people and they're all hungry and they've only got like a few loaves and fishes and they come to Jesus like, what are we going to do? And Jesus is like, you guys give him something to eat. Everybody, anybody ever read that story going like, what? Like, he's like, you guys do it. You've got this. Jesus is like, you know the work. You've seen it. You know who I am, therefore you know who you are. So go do the things that, that we do. Who are you? Why are you here? I'm not entirely sure what it was specifically about those early sermons that Paul must have taught to the Thessalonians, but, but he writes that the good news came as more than just mere words. They carried power, dunamas, dynamite. There, there was this full, like, Holy Spirit activating presence to them. And then there was this deep conviction, says Paul. And that somehow inspired, like, a transformed lives. And then there was some other little element, missing element. And I think it, I think we know a little bit of the backstory from Acts 17. Paul and Silas had spent some time there. It had been about three weeks. There was a little bit of shared life with this community that was suffering. And, and there was something about that shared experience that set the Thessalonian church on this incredible, potent, um, like, path for the gospel of Jesus. In fact, Paul says their faith had become known everywhere. And I think the key word is actually found in verse 6. In verse 6, Paul says that they became imitators of them. Imitators. So you've got the gospel, the... The life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, the message of Jesus mixed with the Holy Spirit's activating presence and this deep conviction and imitation. And, and that word imitation, it can be a little bit tricky for us, right? Because, uh, I don't know about you guys, we have like imitation as like the adjective. And that might be like we would use it with like imitation crab. Imitation, which is never normally a good thing. Like imitation crab, but but we also have imitation as like a verb or a noun, which is more like mimicking or duplicating, uh, becoming like someone or like something else. And this is the this is the version that Paul's pointing at here. And this can be a good thing or a bad thing. We can mimic and become like the thing that we are mimicking. I, Brittany and I were recently in Chicago uh, visiting our, our kind of our two middle kids, Kelton and McKenzie. Uh, and and they wish that they were here right now I'm, I'm 100% sure of that but anyways we were visiting them in and- it was a crazy kind of that experience where you have with your kids where you're sitting there. I'm so proud of them. They're they're wrestling forward and doing well in in school and doing well in their places that they're serving and they're and they're, and they're loving their the kids around them and they're both one's an RA and one's an assistant RA and so they're caring for their the the students on their dorm section level and they're just doing everything. And I was one part like super proud, like, wow, they're doing so much good stuff. And then I was one part kind of convicted. I'm like, they are so much like their mother and myself. Um, me too, not just Brittany. Uh, they, they don't do boundaries well. They say yes to everything. They end up overcommitting and being exhausted. We are talking to our two kids and they're just so tired all of the time trying to do it all. And I'm like, wow, you guys... You are just two chunks off the old block. You are just like us. And I think that's the thing. It's like, in many ways, our our way of mimicking, our way of duplicating, close proximity, it's the way that we learn how to human. Isn't it? I mean, this is why the family is what it is. We we live life together and we grow. And it's a part of why, whether it's a spiritual family or a biological family, it's so important. it. it it's so powerful. Family is a vehicle for formation. Family is a mechanism that helps us be discipled. And this this was the element that set the Thessalonian church on fire. It was really, it was kind of Paul's secret weapon, his secret sauce. And he used it with the Corinthians. He says in in 1 Corinthians 4 that they they were calling the Corinthian church to follow him. And in 1 Corinthians 11, he said, follow me as I follow Jesus. To To the Philippians, he told them like, hey, follow my example as a community together. And then later in Philippians 4, he said, do those things that you've seen me doing. And then he said similar things to both Timothy and to Titus Imitation was central to the work of Paul, and I think it's because it was central to the work of Jesus. And think about uh, the tail end of Matthew twenty-eight, that that great commission. Just before Jesus ascends up to heaven, he calls his disciples, "Go, make disciples of all nations. Just get out there, do the work, do the thing." And and discipleship in the day of Jesus, it wasn't just an event. It wasn't like showing up for uh, teaching, uh, you know, once a week. It was like this life on life, doing things together. Discipleship, it, it was about walking with your rabbi. It was about watching your rabbi. It was about imitating your rabbi. Paul David Tripp's book, Instrument in the Redeemer's Hand, he has got this great quote. He says this, The church is not a theological classroom fascinating. Let that sink in for a second. It's not a theological classroom. It's a conversion, confession, repentance, reconciliation, forgiveness, and sanctification center. Where flawed people place their faith in Christ, gather together, gather to know and love Him better, and learn to love others as He designed. This is what church actually is. It's not just showing up for classroom time. It's not to to learn things about God, though we do that also. It's not just about that. It's about being a family. In effect, the church is the place where we get to flesh out the gospel of Jesus together as a community. Learning how to become as we watch those who have gone ahead of us in their faith. Emulating the good stuff being challenged and changed, humbling ourselves enough to say, hey, I want my life to look a little more like your life as you follow Jesus, to be formed through imitation. And what's amazing is that imitation, when it's done and repeated and repeated, it leads to multiplication. We see this in verse 5. Paul says, you know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord for you welcomed the message of in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the holy spirit and so you became a model to all of the believers in macedonia and achaia N- notice the progression paul and silas they live with the thessalonians and the thessalonians learn what it means to follow jesus and become like jesus they learn how to live this life out and then suddenly through time they become models themselves it's, it's, it's because, in many ways, this is how we show the world what the family of God looks like. Be- because, you know, you can argue with a set of facts, and, and you can debate an interpretation of history. You can even deny the existence of God, but it's very, very difficult to argue with a life transformed It's very difficult to argue with a life that's been changed by the power of the Holy Spirit and and the fruit of freedom that comes as we're formed into the image of Jesus. It's just hard to argue with that. But it does beg the question, what what was it that the Thessalonians saw in Paul that that they put into practice? What was that work that they began to do? Well, Paul describes three things that he observed in them. First, their work... Was produced by faith. The word for faith in the original language it includes this idea of like faithfulness and reliability. So when our work is produced by faith, it points at the reliability or faithfulness of the thing that we are trusting in. And then, so if you if you add into that, then the idea the Hebrews eleven says that that faith also has like an assurance in what we do not see. There's some sort of unexplainability connected to faithfulness. And those two things, they don't tend to go together very well. So so maybe, so maybe an analogy. I'm standing here on a very secure, stable stage, right? I'm, I'm hoping it's stable. Oh, it's, Laura, it's not going anywhere, is it? Is it going to be okay? I'm, I guess yeah, it's solid. Okay, so I'm standing on the stage, which you guys can all see. It's holding me up firmly, right? But imagine with me for just a moment, if you will, if the stage was invisible, Imagine that I was simply standing in front of you all in thin air. I mean, that'd be pretty cool. I mean, that would be, re-hope ta- that'd be upping their game. I mean, they would have the only invisible stage in town, I am sure of it. Uh, and it probably people would come from all around because they would want to just say, like, what is going on there? That's an unexplainable. That's incredible. What is supporting them as they stand there and lead and worship and teach? What, what is it that is g- lifting them up? Well... The Thessalonians' work, it pointed to the, at the faithful reliability of an invisible, loving God. Their lives, it had they had an unexplainable stability to it. Amidst deep suffering, amidst persecution, their lives, their day-to-day lives pointed at divine help. The result was it left people around them wondering, like, how are they doing that? What's, what's holding them up? What's supporting them in the midst of that difficulty as we persecute them for their faith? Why are they still standing? What's going on there? Consider for a moment, do, do our lives reflect evidence of the faithful, reliable presence of a loving Heavenly Father? Do, do people look at our plate, our, our, look at us in our workplaces or in our schools or in our neighborhoods and do they go, man, what, how are you standing amidst your difficulties? What are you doing in order to to be able to be sustained through this? What's holding you up? Do they wonder to themselves about our invisible maker, about his family, and wonder to themselves, how, how are they doing that? How are they living their lives? But there's more. Second, their labor, according to Paul, was prompted by love. Now, The notion of love in our day and age, it carries all sorts of complexity. Uh, But I want to keep us focused, so I'm going to look at like the the pinnacle of biblical love. And we really see that in John 15. It's this idea of laying one's life down for our friends. The apex of biblical love is sacrifice. Not not warm fuzzies, not quality time, not sex, not even chocolate. Uh, It's dying to self. For those that are chocolate fans out there. It's not, that's not the epitome of love, I promise. The Thessalonians' labor was motivated by love. Love for Paul and Silas, uh, love for each other, love for their, even their broader community, but most primarily, it was their love for Jesus. They, they, they were motivated and driven by this, this fixed love, this fixation on their Savior. And ultimately, that's what poured out on the community around them. There's something about wholehearted love that fires up death to self, isn't there? It's like when our hearts finally find something big enough to give themselves to, that, that we begin to forget about ourselves. We, we begin to forget about secondary things, even important secondary things. Now, of course, this can be abused, but there are times when love moves us and motivates us to lay down our own lives for the thing or the person that we love. Any new parents in the room? I mean, I, I, I've had a chance to spend some time with some of you. Is there any other human on the planet that you would sleep two to three hours a night for? Right? Probably no. Very short list. Uh, is there any other human on the planet that you would endure unsettledable cries that you would be pooed on, spit up on, everything else on? Right? And then right when you're at the end of your rope, wondering if there's a way to trade them back in, maybe get a puppy or something, you know, um, they smile at you, right? And you're like, oh man, okay, let's do it again, you know? In the midst of severe suffering, deep persecution, the Thessalonians kept on serving and sacrificing, motivated by love. I wonder to myself sometimes, am I motivated, is my labor motivated by love? I mean, I know my own heart. I I am prone to be motivated by all sorts of things, whether it's like wanting approval or affirmation or, or maybe the respect of my peers. And those aren't necessarily bad things, but they can be huge distractions. Jesus himself modeled for us radical, selfless love. God's love, it was God's love that sent Jesus to the world for us, right? It boiled up from inside the Trinity itself and poured out on all humankind a passion that none would be lost. When was the last time that my service for the Lord was like motivated by good old-fashioned passion? Just a genuine love for God. Man, this is what we see. This was, this was in the heart of the Thessalonians. This is the God stuff. But Paul's got one more third. Their endurance was inspired by hope. Again, the word for endurance in the original language, it includes the ideas of like steadfastness and perseverance. It's an interesting word because its root word is the word that we get the idea of like abide or remain. In, in essence, you, you know what I mean? Think about the idea of Jesus calling his disciples to abide in him. In essence, the Thessalonians' ability to To remain in Jesus in the midst of suffering was sustained by keeping their hope in Jesus. And not just like in Jesus in a general way, specifically in his kingly return. Jesus was coming back. And that gave them the hope that they needed to keep fighting forward. 1 Thessalonians carries on in verse 8. It says, Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. In the midst of their suffering, and the suffering that was resulted from them shifting allegiance from the other gods and from Caesar onto Jesus himself, they chose to remain in Christ. And the, the weapon that they used to fight with was the weapon of hope. If if living with faith is about having a life that points to fa- a faithful, reliable, invisible God, then living with hope is about having a life that is sustained by a confident, expectant return of King Jesus. Uh, our determination in the face of of suffering in the face of difficulty, it is the face of Jesus and his return in life with healing in his wings. I know this has been a difficult season for humanity, for all all every part of the world, even the last few months have increasingly been difficult. And they've taken their toll on, on the world, they've taken their toll on families, they've taken their toll on the church. But well, what does it mean for us to continue to fight forward? Well, hope grounded in Jesus, it is the fuel for endurance. And the Thessalonians, they walked through all of their suffering, and they were able to do it by keeping their eyes fixed on him. But how does this work practically? Like, what does this look like in a day-to-day kind of normal life? Is this just about putting a smile on our face? Is it about kind of like wishful thinking? It's got to be about more than that. How does hope actually fuel endurance? Well, one way that I like to think about it, it's helpful for me, is thinking about it in lieu of, like, um, reading a really, really long book. Do we have any big readers in the in the room? Anybody, like, likes to read, like, the big ones? Like, like if it's, like, 1,200 pages, you're like, yep, that's my kind of book, you know? Okay, you're all about to lose a little bit of respect for me, and I apologize for that ahead of time. But for me, um, I enjoy reading a big book, too. But because I don't have a lot of time... Sometimes it's like I'm committing to this thing and I'm giving, I'm giving my life to this book for a season and I want to make sure that it ends the way I want it to end. Okay, And if I maybe five or six or seven chapters in find a character that I really enjoy and I'm like, they better not kill this character off. I break all of the cardinal rules. It's a sin. I know in the reading community it's a sin. I flip to the back... And I just start looking for the name. I'm not, I don't, what happened? I know, see, I know. I know, I know. I know, it's it's horrible, it's horrible. But then I find his name, I'm like, yes, I can keep on reading. I've got hope, right? You know, it's fascinating, friends, as much as we joke about this, but in many respects, this is what God has done for us. He's given us a vision of the end. And, 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 the, and the crazy thing is, is that what we find out at the end is that it's actually just the beginning. And the beauty is, is that we have this incredible story. And in the middle bits, there's difficult, hard things. And the creator of the universe thought to himself, you know, what's, you know what I'm going to do to help them endure? I'm going to give them a vision of me coming back. And that's fuel, friends. That's fuel for us to do the work, to be the people, to step into our identity as Jesus intended. Practically speaking, this means that we need to keep reminding ourselves of our story. This is why we do Bible read-through groups, right? This is why we keep going back, because we need to know the story. And occasionally, flipping to the end of the book, To refocus on that vision of Jesus, especially when things get difficult. The Thessalonian church, it modeled for the people around them lives that displayed a faithful, reliable presence of the invisible God. The people looked at them and said, there is something amazing that is supporting their story. That we cannot see. They, they modeled lives of sacrificial, wholehearted love for God. They, they literally poured out their lives for the community around them. Because they knew Jesus had poured out his life for them. And they loved him. And then finally, they modeled lives sustained by a confident, hope-filled expectation in Jesus' return. And this, this was the answer to those questions. Who are you and and why are you here? The Thessalonians could answer this. Like, we know who we are. We are his. And we're here for him. And And that's the beauty. As we wrestle even with our own identity, as we wrestle as a society with the idea of identity, we are his. And we're here for him. As we wrap up, I'd like to leave you with an encouragement I'm going to be stealing some of Paul's words. I'd like to leave you with an encouragement, a reminder, and a challenge. first, on behalf of AJC and on behalf of a bunch of like-minded friends, a bunch of people some who have even been here before who love your church I just I want to say as your friends, well done well done. Your faith has become known, to use the words of Paul. Well done for being a faithful family in the West End of Glasgow. Well well done for for loving your community, for for loving your neighbors well. Well done for showing who Jesus is, for modeling lives of imitation for those in your community. Well done for loving Jesus with all of your heart. Your, Your faithfulness is evident re impact in your community is evident. God is on the move. And at the pre-service prayer that we prayed at the south side, there was this prayer that we prayed about reawakening. I don't know if you guys are praying it here as well, but that reawakening, it's in the air. Like, God is on the move. And there's something coming in this day, in our time, that we are going to have the joy to be a part of. And that that's That's exciting. And your faithfulness to it, well, well done. But second, this is a bit of a reminder. As somebody who was here early on, got to walk these streets and literally pray and cry over the streets around here, I want to remind you, friends, brothers and sisters loved by God, that He has chosen you. He's chosen you. He's chosen this church. He's chosen his people. He has placed you where you are for a reason. And he is for you. And you know what? We're for you. We believe you. Brittany, my wife over here and I, we, we love and believe in you. I was, one of the things I love so much about Thessalonians is that it's like all this family language in it. If you ever get a chance to read through it, well, I know you will. Uh, when you get to it, look for all the family language in there. It's beautiful. Over and over again. And, may, and maybe if it's helpful for you, think about like these crazy aunt and uncle over in America in Portland. We believe in you. We are cheering you on. Be encouraged. Be of good faith. He has chosen you. But third, a bit of a challenge. Rehope. Don't forget who you are and why you're here. It can be easy. Glasgow's a great city, it's also A hard city. And the need for the gospel and healing work of Jesus, it's never been greater. Like now is the time. It can be easy when things get really, really hard to get derailed because they're hard. And it can also be easy when when things get kind of comfortable to get derailed, right? And those are kind of the two edges we can can get off track when, when things get too difficult, when things get too comfortable. My challenge to you is do not forget who you are. The need for the gospel has never been more. These are the times when we need to allow God to speak over us our identity. The city needs you. We are his family, and we're here for him. So family, don't forget the gospel call God has given you. Don't forget the work that he has set you to. God is calling you to step out in unexplainable faith in this community, to be people of sacrificial love in this community, to fix your eyes on Jesus as your hope in this community. I'd like to pray for you if that's okay. Um, and i might actually have my wife join me up on stage too if that's okay. Just to pray a blessing over you and the work that God has called you to. We, we sure do love you guys. Lord, I thank you so much for rehope, And I thank you for the faithfulness of Laura and the faithfulness of Brian and Kelly and the team here. And Lord Jesus, right now we just pray in your name that you would bless the work of the hands. That you would bless the things that they put their minds and their hearts to. Would you expand the work of your kingdom through this church, in this community, in this part of the city. Well, this morning I just had this vision, this, this picture of you pushing out the edges of the tent. And I just pray for that. I pray that you would just push out the edges of the tent in this community, create a larger home, that more people who are lonely and without moms and dads, without siblings, that they would find a place to be and belong, that they would find you, Jesus. Use this people for the sake of your kingdom. We hope we bless you in the name of Jesus to his name, to his work, to his purposes, to his identity. We love you, Jesus. This is all about you, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen.